Hello, Bill. Good morning, Matt. Welcome to the DMZ, everybody, where it is a sad day for uh, Orioles fans here in Southern DMZ, Bill. Uh, I, I know you were excited to see a strong playoff run. Um, I, I can't say I was as wrapped up in the baseball postseason as you were, uh, but I'm sure you have to feel good about how far the team has come and its prospects for subsequent years. Well, yeah, the, the sad thing about it is it, it, it sort of is a mourning period, um, you know, M-O-U-R. N-I-N-G. I mean, I'm, I like watching these games. Um, I was hoping to watch the World Series, the, the Fall Classic, uh, with my boys. Um, and But yeah, you make a valid point. A lot of people were predicting the Orioles to finish in last place this season. They won 101 games. They're a young team. I do think uh, one of the things we loved about them is that they they, they grew this team from their far, farm system and and uh, that's awesome. I, I do. In, in, in retrospect, they should have gone out and bought like a great starting pitcher, uh, like sort of a stopper, like, you know, like David Wells or Kurt Schilling, like that model. Bring in someone like that. Uh, that might have been the difference maker. So we're sad. Uh, and especially the Orioles haven't lost. They did not lose a series three games in a row, I think, all season. And this is the first time it happened in the postseason. Uh, so it's sad. And the other thing, Bill, frankly, is with sad news in the news, uh, I would often, you know, turn over to sports as a reprieve, uh, as a way to sort of lighten things up. Can't do that today. So wherever I turn, it's negativity, Bill. That, that's well, the, state you're, the state I'm in. I'll say two sports-related things before we get down to uh, serious business. One, I think if you, if you, just like sports in and of itself, whatever the game is, uh, you should love the game regardless of how far your team goes in that game. You should appreciate the game for its own, uh, uh, it's all on its own merit. Because uh, obviously your team is almost never going to be the champion. If that's the only reason why you're invested in a sport, you're going to have a lot of heartbreak for the rest of your life. So. Uh, everyone who gets to play on the Orioles, you know, every day is is charm that you get to do that for your for your profession. Uh, you know, if you were a, a Yankees or a Mets fan, like a New Yorker like myself, and their season was obviously over, you got to be look. They, even if they're playing for nothing to play for, like they get to play, they get to play. Yes, a game Yankees for their fans. Job. Yankees fans live such a charmed life that <laughs> I'll give you the Mets. I'll give you the Mets, and uh, but the Yankees they win so much. Um, but I think for the rest of us, Bill, for the rest of us non-Yankees fans, I think you're you're totally right. Um, losing is part of life. Mm-hmm. And uh, there is crying in baseball, despite popular opinion. And uh, suffering, <laughs> the long-suffering fans. So maybe my sons are going to learn a little something from this after all. Now, Matt, if you want to see a great sporting event and escape from the world's problems for a few hours. You should pay the money to subscribe to uh, watch AFL Aussie rules football by the one week subscription, just to watch the 2023 grand final between the Collingwood magpies and the Brisbane lions. Cause that was an epic Epic grand final this year. I don't want to say who won. Don't want to give any spoilers. 
but it was great Aussie Rules footy from start to finish. Well, I do have to confess that uh, there's zero chance of me getting emotionally invested in this sport <laughs> or, or feeling any sense of loss if any team loses. You, so, don't, you don't have to root for a team. It's just, it's just, it was just a great game all the way through. So maybe it would fulfill that. Uh, maybe that's what I need to do is, is find the sport I can just watch without being at all emotionally invested in it. So. What's going on at your house, Bill? I'm hearing uh, dishes and... Yes. Um, for some reason, <laughs> I, I don't really understand this. So today is when uh, the PSAT takes place at the high school. Uh, and that means the ninth graders don't have to go to school till the afternoon. I, I don't recall getting a break as a ninth grader when like someone else had to take a PSAT in, in an older grade. <laughs> Um, but that's the, that's the situation. Uh, so, uh, my oldest is home (laughs) and is not really recognizing that we are recording right now. So apologies for the (laughs) disruption. All right. Um, well, we've got, uh, a couple things going on. We've got, I guess we'll call it a war in the Middle East and a not quite a civil war here in our politics, but we still don't have a Speaker of the House. And as we record this Wednesday morning, uh, they're about to have a meeting where I think they're scheduled to have a vote, although- you know, ballot vote. Yes, although I think, was it Thomas Massey who put it at like 2% that they would have a Speaker today? So I think uh, I think we're okay to talk about it without- um, you know, without the fear of, of, of too much news intruding or rendering this, uh, you know, obsolete. But Bill, where do you want to start today? I mean, I think the news in the Middle East is the bigger news. So maybe you and I don't have too much to say about it. That's of any of, of any We're not value to the rest of our society, but we probably should touch on it first, I think. Yeah. I mean, obviously not experts. I've never been to Israel. I'd love to go. Um, perhaps someone could get us a, a cultural tour there someday. Now is probably not the good time to go. I would, I would guess a little crazy. Um, but, uh, you know, just from a political standpoint, I think everyone knows what has, has happened. Um, a few things of note, I, I thought Joe Biden's speech was very tough, uh, good. I thought he showed moral clarity. Um, so that that's good. Uh, I, I think there is Biden has a problem with the was, was it six billion dollars that has maybe not yet even been released, but it's, it's money that's going to go to Iran, um, which is a, a sponsor of terror, including Hamas. That's a potential problem, I think, for Democrats and Biden. And then there is the potential problem where there are people on the left, progressives, members of the squad and then, you know, young progressives on college campuses who are kind of in some ways uh, pro, pro-Palestine, pro I guess in some egregious examples, um, even maybe cheering on some of the atrocities. So uh, where where do you want to go with that, Bill? Well, if we want to talk about it in terms of domestic politics, which is which is fine, um, probably, and we're probably more competent to, to, to talk about that. Um, I th- I 
don't think either of the things that you mentioned are going to pose long-term problems for Democrats. That's my gut sense. Uh, I think that, you know, because you can't really draw a direct line from, you know, Biden unfroze these assets to bring Americans home. Uh, so it's not like there's like, here, Ron, have some money. Like it was part of retrieving American uh, uh, people who are imprisoned wrongly. Uh, every president does these sorts of things. Uh, it's not unusual. It's not unprecedented. And uh, whenever it comes up, you can always just say, you know, we're trying to bring Americans home. And I, I get the whole money is fungible concept, yeah. but if to, to follow that logic, then you're not bringing these Americans home. Well, maybe we need to have a discussion about that in general. I mean, I've heard that uh, there are occasions where Israel, for example, will trade a thousand oh, yeah. prisoners for one Israeli uh, captive. And on one hand, this is admirable, right, that we value human life so much and that we value our citizens so much. But that clearly, I mean, would be the kind of thing that would incentivize more hostage taking. I mean, I, I, just think, I mean, like that's not an illegitimate argument to make, but like the entire world has re- resolved this argument in the other direction. I don't think it <laughs> Every has Every country does things to bring their people home. Well, but I think there's, you know, ways to do it and ways not to do it. And look, this is a bipartisan thing. We could talk about the Iran hostage crisis and, you know, um, we could talk about uh, Reagan and, and uh, the Contra you know, right. thing. So, I mean, I'm not, this is not me picking on Democrats at all, but I do think that, you know, maybe we, I don't know that it's been resolved. I don't know that we've, it, it, it's been resolved. Give me one example in, where a country said, you got one of our guys. All right. We're not talking to you. Do what you got to do. End of discussion. I, I, I don't know example where that has occurred. Well, I don't think they would announce that publicly. <laughs> if you're not going to negotiate over it, and that's what you're effectively saying, and then your country's hostage would die and say, well, at least I have not incentivized future hostage taking. I mean, again, you could make the argument that that might be what every country should do. So we stop hostage taking. But that never is what actually happens. Well, it does seem like the trade-offs, the, the trades are so lopsided that it would clearly incentivize more hostage taking. And so um, let me ask you about this. What do you make of the video, which I've tried not to watch? And some of it, I'm sure, is fake. Some of it, I'm sure, is real. But there are videos on TikTok and Twitter of it's sort of like ISIS beheadings, of, of atrocities being I, committed. I haven't watched any of them. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty much only listening to CNN and MSNBC these days on audio through um, my uh, Amazon Echo. So I'm not seeing, and I, and I haven't gone to look for these things on social media, so I haven't seen anything. All right. Uh, I've, only, I've only noticed because CNN is, is showing, I think one of these videos, uh, I, I think with the permission of uh, an Israeli family who's uh, has a member who was in the video, I think, uh, uh, and they're saying this is a Hamas propaganda video, uh, so uh, all it seems to be doing is rallying people under the Israeli banner. Uh, it it's, it's, doesn't seem to be helping Hamas on in a, any kind of PR way. But again, of course, everyone's, 
you know, incentives are obviously different as far as what they're trying to achieve here, you know, uh, and I'm obviously being speculative, but what seems to be the case is that Hamas uh, and potentially it's back or Iran is just trying to disrupt further normalization with Israel amongst Sunni Arab nations. Uh, yeah. And so they are, uh, by doing something brutal and vicious and essentially encouraging a brutal and vicious response uh, from Israel, you ice further normalization between Israel and the, and the Arab world. Uh, so if this just gets everyone uh, more angry, uh, perhaps that serves Hamas's purposes. But it's for anyone who was try, trying to get, you know, America and American Jews to be more critical of what is a very right-wing Israeli government, these videos do not help on that score. Uh, and to, to get back to your other point about, you know, certain student organizations saying things that are uh, anti-Israel, like, can I think of anything less important uh, in in the world that what like a bunch of students on college campuses think who have received no bearing on any decision making whatsoever? Not uh, now, but these you, are in you, many you cases. Lost AOC, the DSA in New York City has lost AOC. They've lost Jamal Bowman over this. You know, the number of people who have an actual elected office who are agreeing with these statements. Uh, I, I don't even. Maybe you could. Maybe Rashida Tlaib, maybe, you know, uh, even Ilan Omar, you know, statement was was on point. Uh, so, uh, you know, Biden is setting a tone. I mean, and I, I don't know if this is going to help him politically or not. I'm, I'm, I'm curious to find out if the poll numbers do change. I'm not expecting it. But, you know, we do sometimes see poll numbers change in a crisis. This is a crisis. Biden is making a very clear stance and tone for not just him, but the party and the country to take, where there's no equivocation, there's no widening the lens to talk about all the other aspects of of the uh, dispute. Uh, it's just this attack is barbarous, and we stand with Israel. And the discussion, uh, I don't see that stance causing intra-party upset. Uh, Keep in mind now you have a Senate majority leader and a Democrat House minority leader, one Jewish, one African-American, who are steadfast Israel supporters, both from Brooklyn, where you have a very concentrated uh, Jewish population. And Biden has been a longtime defender of Israel as well. So the entire leadership of the Democratic Party is not prone. uh, I mean, not that they give Netanyahu a blank check to whatever they want all the time. They most certainly don't. Uh, but they're not prone to uh, take the DSA view of this situation. Uh, and I would think they're going to, when you see votes for Israeli funding, I suspect you will see very big numbers, probably in both parties. I mean, maybe you'll get a smattering of no votes on the Democratic side, but I doubt more than 10, if even that, based on the statements that I've, I've been seeing. So, uh, To the extent that it matters at all, it's probably going to help Biden say he stood up to he stood up to the Harvard students if that was some sort of brave brave act. Uh, But I think that's where we are right now. Well, Cindy, you've been listening to CNN and MSNBC and early on and at least the first day or so, 
there was criticism in NPR as well um, of them sort of trying to both sides this thing and, and talking about the nuances and putting it in context of the struggle and the plight of the Palestinians and all of that, and that these are militants, not terrorists. Um, it seems like since in the last couple of days, I feel like that has shifted. At least the shows that I'm watching um, are more in line with Joe Biden's moral clarity right now. Have you have you seen a shift or, or what's your take? I've heard more CNN than MSNBC. I mean, I uh, you know, right or wrong, I'm only seeing hearing Israeli voices. I don't even know if they've had anyone making the offering the Palestinian view of things or the or, or the Arab world point of view of maybe it's happening. Yeah, they definitely have uh, because it, it sort of was on Twitter going viral. But I think that was very early on. Yeah. Um, uh, I, mean, I mean, perhaps they should have more of that. I mean, I, I'm not saying our voices are to be erased in this. We I think we should hear what everybody has to say. I mean, this is as a matter of what I have heard. I've only heard Israeli voices on CNN uh, so far. And again, I haven't done as much MSNBC, so I can't speak to that as well. What will be interesting to see is what happens when Israel does whatever they're going to do. I mean, is it going to be a ground invasion? It's going to be very difficult, obviously, for them because they have all these hostages who are probably underground in Gaza and uh, could be their lives will be in danger as retribution if, for what Israel is, I'm guessing, about to do. Probably last topic uh, is Nancy Mace. What is up with Nancy Mace? The latest is she showed up to the closed doors caucus meeting wearing a T-shirt with an A on it, like the scarlet letter. I don't even know what, sh- why, uh, th- that means adultery, I think, from, uh, 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 what's the old book, Bill? I don't even know. Isn't, this, isn't it called The Scarlet Letter? The Scarlet Letter is the name of the book. Uh, and, but I'm, I'm so confused. Like, what, because we've got some big things happening in the world, I- including in Israel, and here she is. Has she been attacked? Has she been? Is this because of of that speech at the at the prayer breakfast, the Tim Scott prayer breakfast, where she talked about not having time for a quickie? No, 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 no. no. McCarthy shot at her because she's one of the people that voted against, uh, voted for the motion to vacate. Uh, she claimed what's that, that have to do with adultery, Bill. Oh, is that? I, oh, I think that she's just saying that she's being sort of persecuted. That's all. Uh, okay. I don't think it's, I don't think it's direct re- reference to adultery. Um, and I mean, you, you know, you like talking about the attention economy, Matt. I don't know of anybody who is like more addicted to the attention economy than Nancy Mace. Like she has no consistent principles at all. And she's often been on both sides of various questions. She, you know, the star of her this year, she would threaten leadership more and then back off for no obvious uh, logical reason. Um, she, uh, uh, she was critical of Matt Gates before, and now is on Team Gates. Now, uh, she accused McCarthy of not helping her with women's rights, as if like suddenly her journal going to do something more for women's rights than, than if any Republicans because we do anything for women's rights. Um, uh, it's none of it makes sense except for wanting attention. Like there's no other 
Yes. There's no other through line one can come up with. So this gives me a, a couple of thoughts. One is unpredictability. See, she was like a PR person before doing this, before getting into Congress. And initially I saw she was like wavering and taking these weird oscillations. And I thought like, well, maybe that's, you know, she would like take kind of brave stances against Trump and then, and then weird, you know, like go back the other direction and go to like Trump tower and like beg for his, it was just really weird. And I thought, well, maybe this has something to do with her district. She represents like Charleston, South Carolina. And, and, but it turns out that that district isn't even that close anymore. It's a fairly safe Republican district. I'm told like it used to be a real, in fact, she, a well, Democrat. Joe Cunningham was a Democrat who, who you know, she beat a Democrat. Yeah. He held it. And then she, I think she beat him again in a rematch. Right. Pretty easily. And I, so I think, I think the district has changed. So that doesn't explain her oscillations, but, but unpredictability is, is this weird way to get attention. And, and, uh, and it's almost like a psychological principle. And I wonder if she's tapping intentionally into unpredictability, or maybe it's as simple as you suggest, Bill, that she is just this uh, craves attention. And that really makes her in this, puts her in the same league with like AOC and Matt Gates and Marjorie Taylor Greene, right? AOC has very deeply held <clears throat> ideological convictions. Fair point. And so does Matt Gates, probably. Who knows? Or Marjorie I'm, Taylor Greene. I'm, I'm, I'm less confident about that, but there are certain things he claims to be for. Uh, and uh, he at least, I, I, I'm not as aware of Gates taking one policy position and then taking the opposite policy position, you know, two weeks later. I mean, he did used to be like a Jeb Bush establishment Republican. <laughs> And then he became a Trumper. So maybe Marjorie Taylor Greene is the better example. So I'm not suggesting that AOC flip-flops to get attention. I do think she does things all the time to get attention, including the Met Gala dress. But, but every, lots of politicians do things to get attention because attention is, is currency. I mean, if, if, if you're getting attention because you want to advance a policy view, that is being a politician. Uh, what Nancy Mace wants to accomplish policy-wise completely escapes me. Uh, what she wants to accomplish as a member of the Republican Party escapes me. Like she's she's not building trust with. Well, I don't know if you saw like the latest before the latest before the Scarlet Letter shirt, um, which I think you know gets her as you noted, Bill. That gets her attention um, and and uh, buzz about her, but it, but does not accomplish anything. But as you may know, uh, she's apparently a rape victim or a victim of some sort of, of sexual assault and has stood up against Republicans, um, I think, over abortion. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of confused. Again, it's hard to say exactly what she believes in. But she was I think she was recently asked. I think I think she's supporting. Yes, yeah, she endorsed Jim Jordan. Right. She endorsed Jim Jordan. And she was asked on TV, like, well, what do you make of Jim Jordan being, you know, accused by college wrestlers of, of like looking the other way when they were being assaulted? And Nancy Mace said, like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Was unaware of this, apparently, or says she was unaware. Like, do you believe her? Is that even possible that she wouldn't have that she's endorsing a guy for Speaker of the House, doesn't even know that this. GYM Jordan, Jim Jordan thing exists? 
I think we all know. I mean, Jordan has done uh, clearly heavy labor to convince the party this is not a liability for him. Uh, and actually, you know, evidence that it is a liability for him as far as internal party politics is, is concerned. Uh, maybe if he was speaker, would Democrats make hay of it after the fact? I, well, they could try. Uh, but it, it hasn't been enough to get him uh, to dislodge him from his current seat. Uh, and it doesn't seem to be something being used against him in the inter- internal party race. So uh, he has seemed to have convinced his fellow Republicans that this is a non-issue, that he didn't that he didn't do anything wrong. Um, uh, and that that's all I, I can say about it. I I I just think Mace, you know, I don't know if you read the the, the profile of Stephen Bannon, Steve Bannon, the Times the other day, that where they were in the room when she and Matt Gates went on his war room podcast after this vote. And she's being heralded as, you know, a warrior in Bannon's armory, the way, the way Gates is, even though she was being a much more of a, of a social moderate and establishment friendly person, you know, an anti, an anti-Trump person earlier on. Uh, the, what, what, what was this profile? Where was this published? In the New York times. Okay. A very, I mean, I, I don't like getting into, I don't like getting deep into Trump world that much. I just don't, I, I feel like I, I know these are awful people. I don't need to have more detail about it. Um, but I thought it was a very well done piece. And, uh, and did, I thought it did show that Bannon has some influence in the party now that he, he is a impactful chaos agent where people like Matt Gates think there's value coming on his show and like sending out, you know, marching orders. That, 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 is, that is how you broadcast uh, your strategies and your plans. Uh, and so, you know, Bannon eggs them on and Gates comes on to uh, work his magic. And it's a, it's a productive symbiotic relationship for them. And now Nancy Mace has joined that party for now. I mean, maybe she'll leave it at some other point and, and go off a half cocked in another direction uh, because there's no rhyme or reason to her actions. But to the extent that she is, that she, that what she wants is attention for attention's sake, Bannon is giving it to her. And I think, you know, it, it's a microcosm of, of a big problem we have in our politics, which is the lack of adults, the lack of serious people who take their role as an elected official seriously, and I think she is more interested in getting famous and getting buzz and getting attention than she is obviously in supporting any actual public policy calls because she's all over the map when it comes to philosophy and policy. Um, and even standing up, we don't, is she for Trump? Is she against Trump? Is she like worried about, you know, trying to overthrow elections and have fake electors and all that or not? Is she okay with like, it's unclear. The only consistent thing is she likes to get attention. And again, you know, my book, Filthy Rich Politicians, Bill, I talked about politicians who were using their perch to cash in financially. But as you know, there's this also attention economy. So she may not be cashing in uh, via insider trading. She's cashing in on the attention economy using her position I think that erodes trust in democracy and elected officials as well. And again, though, she's not alone. This is a trend. And why well, wouldn't I, other I, people? I think do Mace it? is alone in it because I, I think Mace's uh, interest and attention is not tethered to any kind of ideology. It's one thing 
for in, you know, an AOC or a Matt Gates, like they use attention to advance policy positions. And I think in this case, you know, Gates more impactfully. Uh, but uh, the, the downside to that as far as, you know, our institutions are concerned is it makes it harder for compromises to take place because there is no attention economy reward for doing the deals that keep government functioning. Yeah. Um, uh, now, I think, you know, Democrats and Republicans, certain Republicans managed to strike a whole lot of deals. I mean, I wrote a small thing for Politico because they asked me and some others, you know, is American politics broken uh, in the wake of the speaker uh, vote? And my point was, American politics really hasn't been broken. We've done all these deals. We've kept the government open. We averted debt default. We are investing in infrastructure. We're, doing, we're supporting some semiconductor manufacturer. We even passed a gun safety bill. Like we, we, these these tugs on the center because of the attention economy in part. That's been an obstacle that's been overcome in many respects. Uh, what broke was mm-hmm. the speaker vote. Here's a case where. Someone like Gates, who is sort of playing to the cheap seats, was abetted by the Democratic Party in mass. If, if the Democratic Party didn't do that, the center could have still held. Uh, but they, their mistrust of McCarthy ran, ran, ran too deep. Uh, so I think that's more of an exception than the rule as far as the impact the attention economy is making on the ability of government to function. Um, Mace is like, I feel like it's her own separate thing in that she yeah. is just totally zigzagging without any obvious policy objective. No, I think that's fair. And I think you could argue that the Matt Gates and the Marjorie Taylor Greens are worse for the country because as, as you just laid out why, right? Um, they've got an incentive to go to the right because what they, they want a fan base. They want to build a list. They want a fan base of rabid fans, a, a gang, a tribe. That's what Gates and Green are building. Um, Mace isn't. Mace is not going to be. Mace wants to be a celebrity, it seems like. Um, so she's not building a cadre of of partisans, of rabid partisans who are with her because of her policy. She just wants attention or maybe she'll get some fans. And But it's sort of like Madonna. You know what I mean? Like, that's the model. It's like, but see, see, Madonna produces content that people want to buy, (laughs) namely music. You know, Madonna, uh, actually, I I had, I took a college uh, intro politics course where the professor, this is, this was, you know, in 1992 or so. And the professor actually used Madonna as an example of how politicians stay ahead of the curve. You know, they don't, they don't just do the same old, same old, what the masses want to expect. They stay a step ahead. Where the puck is going. Yeah. Uh, uh, So, and in doing so, she was one of the most successful entertainers of, of all time. I don't think Mace produces content that people want to consume. If she thinks she's winning in the intention economy, I think she's going to find, that she hasn't won nearly as much as she thinks she is. There, there, there's no rabid base of Nancy Mace fans out there that I'm aware of. Uh, so at some point, you know, the music's going to stop, but she's going to see that there's nobody dancing with her. Well, I think she'll then change and pick. Maybe then she, at some point she picks a team and doubles down and sticks with them and keeps doing the stunts. Uh, I agree with you. I think 
Madonna actually was talented, um, produced content that people wanted. That's not the case with Mace. But but I guess what I'm saying is that she is doing stunts to get publicity um, that are irrespective of any political or ideological agenda. It's about her. It's about her brand kind of exclusively. Um, so that's the Madonna comparison. But the huge caveat is Madonna could sing and dance. Uh, so there's that. Uh, All right, I probably, should have, probably should wrap. Uh, I find out this dog to be quiet. I don't know if there's anything you want to say more about the Middle East now without, without a dog in the background. I think we made wrap. it through the Middle East. The dog really, uh, I think, um, impacted other parts. So uh, I, I am good. Um, any Bill, anything? See? I spoke too soon. See? Uh, anything you want to plug, Bill? Uh, well, I do want to plug that I Jesus. What is your problem? Uh, uh, so I've started uh, or expanded the Washington Monthly Newsletter. So it's now publishing three times a week and not two. So Tuesdays, Thursdays, Saturdays. And it's been cross-posted on Substack. So you can subscribe uh, for free or with a donation. Uh, WashingtonMonthly.substack.com. Uh, and I do have a piece up there in the Tuesday newsletter about uh, American the, the American role in the Israeli-Palestinian peace process, how it has uh, ebbed and flowed over the past 30 years, and uh, why I think our retreatment from that has contributed to the situation we're in today. Uh, so if you go over, I mean, it's, it's on the washingtonmonthly.com website as well, and you can sign up there to get it via email, but it's all now also available on Substack as well. Uh, check out, I, I interviewed a couple years ago, uh, Noah Tishby, who's an Israeli actress turned activist. She knows her stuff. She has, she had a book. It's called Israel, a simple guide to the most misunderstood country on earth. And, uh, it is a, I mean, it's, com it's a complex, so I don't want to say it's a simple guide. Um, but I would recommend her book if you want like a crash, it's, it's combination memoir, combination history of Israel. And um, if you want a very good crash course, listen to my conversation with her and I would get the book. Well, for, for making book recommendations, uh, I strongly recommend the book by Gershom Gorenberg, The Accidental Empire. Uh, Gorenberg is a very uh, uh, progressive Israeli. So, um, but it's just, it's an incredible work of history. Um, and uh, even, and I, and I really don't think that his, ideological leanings really, uh, you know, corrupt the the story that he's telling. I think it's just a very honest, candid telling of basically, the, you know, the founding of history, founding of Israel and the challenges that it's faced, you know, in the decades that followed. Uh, and if you don't really know much about the backstory, I think it's a great start. I also interviewed uh, our friend David Pytruja, the historian. He has a new book out um, called Gangsterland. And he is, it's a, like, he, he is a monster. He just... You cannot prolific. stop the guy from writing books. He is prolific. This one's a little different, though. It's 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 a walking tour of New York City, of where then uh, the jazz era, the jazz age, um, where all sorts of crazy stuff, shootouts, whatever happened in different places. So it's a walking tour where he goes through New York City. A lot of the landmarks still there. You can visit. Uh, so stay tuned for that podcast and get the book Gangsterland. All right. All right. Till next week. You got it. See you back here in the DMZ. Take care. Thanks.